0: Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This fall, we're involved in a series that we have entitled FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions About Christianity, and we are taking on a whole slew of these questions a whole series of questions, commonly asked questions. And today we have come to the question, why does it matter what you believe as long as you are sincere? Now that is a very, very fashionable thought in our culture. It is a very common belief in our culture where there are many people who embrace the idea that it doesn't really matter what you believe. You can believe in any God. You could believe in no God. You could believe in any stream of religious thought, and all of those things would be acceptable as long as you are sincere. Now, that is a common belief that is embraced not only by Joe and Jill, Norman, Oklahoma, but recently the Pope, Pope Francis, seemed by his statements to embrace this very same notion. Recently he was responding to a series of questions that an avowed atheist had asked, and one of those questions from that atheist was this, does God forgive those who do not believe? And Pope Francis answered in this way. He said, God's mercy knows no bounds. If you go to him in contrition, and here comes the key phrase, and with a sincere heart. An atheist asks the question, does God forgive those who do not believe? And the Pope seems to say, as long as you approach him with a sincere heart. Why does it matter what you believe? As long as you are sincere. So this is a very worthy question for us to tackle, and I'm just so glad that you are with us today. And as we begin our time today, I want to set forth a working thesis. And here's the working thesis. Sincerity does not create truth, and beliefs do not determine reality. Now, as we set that thesis before us, I want to look at three pivotal principles that are the underworking, the the support of that thesis. And here's the very first pivotal principle that's the basis for our thesis, and that is that beliefs do not determine truth. And I want to illustrate that with an all-too-common scenario in our culture. It's, It's a scenario we've all heard about, and that has to do with Accidental shootings. Now, I I want you to relax because this is not a real gun. You'll see the little orange piece on the end. This is actually an airsoft pistol. It shoots little plastic-like BB things. But I, I have this just to remind you of this common scenario and how beliefs do not determine truth because you know in accidental shootings what happens. Someone says, I thought the gun, I believe the gun wasn't loaded. I, I didn't think there was a bullet in the gun at all. That was their sincere belief. But what happens in these shootings? Well, someone takes a gun that they thought wasn't loaded and they point it at someone in a playful manner and then they pull that trigger and what they thought sincerely was true turns out to be dead wrong. And so beliefs do not determine truth. And that's all around us. I want to tell you a story that comes out of the country of Uganda. It comes from November of 1987. What was happening there in a city called Soroti, Uganda, is there was this large group of anti government rebels, and they decided to target a rural government army post, and an airstrip, they wanted to take that over. And so this group, which numbered in the hundreds, uh, gathered in the dense brush around the establishment preparing for the attack. But this attack was no ordinary invasion. In fact, this band of fighters used some strikingly unconventional tactics According to the Associated Press, this armed band attacked the military establishment of the government half naked, none of them wearing shirts. Some wore old army trousers, but all of them had their pants rolled up above their knees with no shirts on. And all of the attackers had their bodies lavishly smeared with oil. And as they advanced on the government post and airstrip, they just went forward boldly and fearlessly approaching the government forces. And in unison, they chanted out, God is there! God is there! The attack lasted for about an hour. And when it came to an end, the rebels were thoroughly routed. Out of 700 in the group, 200 of them were killed outright. And many, many more were taken prisoner by the government forces. What was going on here? Well, one of the prisoners, a man named Obon, explained the bizarre event. The rebels, it turns out, were members of a disgruntled religious political group called the Holy Spirit Movement. The founder and leader of the group was a witch doctor named Alice Lochwena. And Alice had convinced her forces that she had miraculously concocted magic oil that would protect them from the government's bullets. She instructed them to take off their shirts and smear their bodies with the magic oil. She even promised that rocks would explode like hand grenades for the faithful following. Thus, this ragtag group attacked the government post and airstrip. And obviously, the battle was lost before it began. But here's what's interesting no one could fault the Holy Spirit movement for a lack of sincerity. I mean, one must truly believe to forge forward to face live bullets half naked. Sincere? Yeah. But wrong dead wrong. Again, we have a sincere belief, and yet people are dead wrong. So our thesis of the day is that sincerity does not create truth, and beliefs do not determine reality. Let me ask you a question. You're, make sure you're all awake, all right? Are you ready? I want to see hands. Oh, let's get them out there boldly. How many people here have ever turned the wrong direction on a highway. Let me see some hands, all right? Yeah, just like me, I've done that more than once. Most of us have done that. And when we turn the wrong direction on a highway, when we made the turn, right, we believed we were going in the right direction. Now, this kind of an event is especially disconcerting for those of us who are married because when we turn the wrong direction going down the highway, usually it's a little while and our spouse asks, honey, are you going in the right direction? And the average husband responds, I'm not absolutely sure, but we're making great time, right? We've all experienced that. Sincere, but wrong. Because beliefs do not determine truth. Think back to our video opening with a little Superman. And somewhere along the line, he comes to sincerely believe that he can fly like Superman. Or he would never go up to the top of the roof. He would never jump off the roof to end up falling down into a bush and scaring away a cat. You see, men and women, facts are facts, and truth always trumps sincerity. Sincerity does not create truth. Beliefs do not determine reality. And That thesis and these principles that we're looking at, which are the foundation of the thesis, are valid in the realm of spiritual truth also. So let's look at the second pivotal principle that's the basis of our thesis, and that is this. Not only beliefs do not determine truth, experience does not determine truth. David DeWitt tells a story Uh, from his college days at Michigan State University. How many people have ever lived in Michigan? Anybody out there? So we have a number of you. Well, one thing about Michigan is it's way up north, right? And when it snows up there, they get lots of snow. And DeWitt says, normally in Michigan, he said, when you would have a large snowfall and, and, and when the the snow would drift up into drifts, usually the snow was a very damp snow. And he said, when you have a damp snow and it drifts, the drifts tend to develop a solid crust. I know I went to school in Nebraska, and I know what that's like. You can have a big drift, and it can be a moist snow, and it gets this solid crust going, and you can sometimes walk right up the drift, And he said, you know, when you have that kind of a drift with that pretty solid crust on it, sometimes you can even jump down onto the drift and it will hold you up. Well, he said, this one particular time when he was at the university, they had an unusual three-day snowstorm. But it was not a moist snow. In fact, it was a very, very dry, powdery snow. Snow, But it was a big snow, three days of snowing, and a lot of that snow drifted up. And in some places on the campus, it actually drifted up to the second-story windows of the dormitory. Now, you can almost guess where this is going. And so you have college students, and they're used to the normal drifting in the solid crust on these drifts, and so here's what they're thinking. Based on their experience of knowing that you can walk on these drifts, sometimes you can jump onto them, they got this idea. Wouldn't it be cool with those drifts that go up to the second-story windows, what if we went to the third floor and we jumped out of the window down onto the drift that would normally, based on our experience, hold you up? That's exactly what they did. And they jumped from the third floor windows into these powdery drifts. And that's now a three story drop down into the soft snow. And remember now, they're doing this with sincere confidence that it's going to hold them up. And DeWitt says that as he went to class, he had classmates in every single one of his classes who had broken their legs. In fact, he knew of one guy who had hurt his leg in another way. He had hurt his leg in basketball, and so many people had hurt themselves by jumping out of the third-floor windows that he actually put a sign around his neck that said, I did not jump into the snow. (laughs) Could have said, I'm not as stupid as most of you. But you see, they were sincere And they were sincere because of an experience that they'd had before. But experience doesn't determine truth. When I was in Latvia in the summer of 2012, I met a new friend. Uh, His name was Ken, and Ken was a businessman from Texas. And one of the things that was unusual about Ken is that Ken came to Latvia and he rented a car. Now, in Latvia, I'd never seen anyone rent a car. I knew they had them. But usually, you had people that you would know in Latvia who would help to drive you around different places, and Ken rented a car. And Ken, when he rented this car, he heard a slight valve tick, sort of a tick, 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 tick in the engine. Now, after his time there in Latvia for a number of weeks, he needed to return his rental car, and he had a little extra time before his flight. And so he asked us, would we drive him, lead him to the airport? He could return his rental car, and then he could hang out with us for a few hours. Well, if you're going to return your rental car, you've got to put fuel in the rental car. And so we drove him around. I was driving with uh, Tals Talbergs, the president of Latvian Christian Radio, and Ken's following us to the gas station. Now, you go to the gas station there, and they're like a lot of gas stations here. On one side, there were pumps for diesel fuel. On the other side were the pumps for regular gasoline. And so Ken pulls in, and he's not sure, you know, he kind of said, well, I, I remember hearing that little valve, tick, 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 I guess I'm probably driving a diesel. So he pulls over to the diesel pumps. It's a gasoline engine car. Gets out, puts in about two-thirds of a tank of diesel. We hop in, we're leading him to the airport. He makes it about one block before the engine just stops working. You know, we, we go down, where's Ken? You know, we can't find him and everything. We had to go back, find out that, what it, you know, it happened. We said, are you sure this is a diesel car? Uh, you know, we look at. oh, no, it wasn't. We had to tow him, rope tow him to a mechanic. Eventually, this thing grew out where it had to go back to the dealership, and ultimately, what ended up happening is that it had to get a new engine. It had to have a new engine engine. You see, he had this experience. He heard sort of a little tick, 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 tick. that sort of sounded a little bit like a diesel. He made a sincere decision based on that experience, and it led to disaster. And think about our little Superman clip again. Just kind of imagine you're in his head, and you know, he's running, and he's jumping, and he's pulling things, and he's leaping off of things down to the ground, and 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 I don't know in the scenario you could think of maybe he would have watched the superman movie and and there's a human being you know who can fly and because of his experience all these successes he has for running and jumping and and maybe watching a movie he begins to sincerely believe based on that experience i could fly You know Sincerity is commendable, but it's limited. And experience does not determine truth. And again, these principles we're looking at today, and our thesis is valid in the realm of spiritual truth also. See, here's what happens in the spiritual realm. Sometimes people have an experience, and because of that experience, they sense that everything is just okay between God and me. For example, someone may have the experience of being sick, and then they pray to be healed or to recover, and then they are recovered. And then they conclude, you know what? I think everything's okay between me and God. My father-in-law cites that experience as the foundation of his spiritual experience in his life. He had a He had a serious disease that they thought he might not survive. He prayed that he would recover, and he recovered. You ask him to point back to what is the basis of all of your whole belief systems, he goes back to that experience. Because of that experience, I think God is okay with me. Or maybe someone has the experience of being on the battlefield, and they are spared while many of their fellow soldiers are not spared, and they think, you know, based on that, I'm tight with God because of this. Or maybe someone attends church and they they have a warm feeling as an experience and they think, you know, I, I sincerely believe, I sense in my life that everything is okay between God and me. Sincerity does not create truth and beliefs do not determine reality. Truth always trumps sincerity. Now, there's a third pivotal principle we want to look at today that's the foundation of our thesis. We looked at the principle that beliefs do not determine truth, that experience does not determine truth. The third foundational principle is that faith is only as good as its object. That means it's possible for you and for me to be sincere and right and to be sincere and wrong. I want to relate to you a story about two guys in Colorado who were mountain hiking. The first guy is a guy by the name of Bob, and Bob was the experienced guy in Colorado. He'd lived there for many years. He knew the mountain turf really well, but the other guy who he'd asked along on a mountain hike was a guy by the name of Dan. And and Dan was new to Colorado. He had never been mountain hiking before. And this is January when they're doing this. And as they're out doing their mountain hiking, Darkness, as it often happens when you're having fun, began to creep up on them, and they realized that if they were going to get back to the lodge before dark, something needed to happen, and Bob, the experienced guy, says, well, what we're going to do, we went around the lake before. What we're going to do is we're going to cross the lake, and we can make the lodge before dark. Now, Dan had heard a little bit about this lake, even though he was new. He'd heard that it was a very deep lake lake, and he knew that it was really cold, and he was hesitant. We're going to cross the lake to get back to the lodge before dark? Are you sure the ice is going to support us if we do that? And Bob said to him, you don't, you don't have to worry about it. this time of year, the ice on the lake is several feet thick. So Bob takes off. Well, Dan doesn't want to be left behind. And so with really very, very little faith, he was pretty nervous. He found himself kind of stepping gingerly, you know, as they crossed the lake and made it back to the lodge. Now, several months later, they're having another hike together. And a similar scenario begins to happen because it begins to get dark. And this time, it's Dan who speaks up and says, Let's cut across the lake so we can have a shortcut and we can get back to the lodge. And Bob goes, I'm not so sure that's such a great idea because it's gotten warmer. And it's possible, Dan, that some of the spots on the lake could have less than a quarter inch of ice. But Dan's faith was strong. And he immediately launched out. And before he'd taken several steps on the ice, yeah, it happened, he broke through just a few feet from the shore and suddenly found himself in cold water. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Dan's faith was stronger the second time. But the object of his faith was less sound. And remember, these principles are valid even in the realm of spiritual truth. And faith is only as good as its object. See, there are many people running around today and they believe that it is just as valid to believe in and follow Buddha and Muhammad as it would be to believe in and follow Jesus. Or we have people around us who would Say, it's just as valid to construct your own world of spiritual concepts as it is to follow the Bible. The Bible has a very interesting perspective on that idea. In Proverbs 16.25, it says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end." It leads to death. You see, men and women, faith is only as good as its object. The power is not in the sincerity of faith. The power is in the object of faith. And you might ask the question, what is the object of faith in biblical Christianity? That's a great question to ask. And I want to take a few moments to answer that question. What is the object of faith of biblical Christianity? And the answer to that would be the claims and the credentials of Christ. That is the object of faith in biblical Christianity, the claims and credentials of Christ. And I'm going to just list three in each category, three claims and three credentials. We we could list a lot more, but I want to give you a feel for this. The object of faith in biblical Christianity would be the claims and credentials of Christ. Christ claimed the power to forgive sins. We see that in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Jesus claimed to be equal with God. We we see that in John, actually many places, but John chapter 8, verse 58 is one of them. He didn't claim to know God. He didn't claim to be a prophet who could lead one to God. He claimed to be equal with God. And Jesus claimed to be the exclusive way to the Heavenly Father. And we see that in John 14 6. So we talked about the importance is in the object of faith. That's where the power is. And when it comes to the object of faith of biblical Christianity, it is the claims of Christ. But it's not just the claims of Christ. It's the credentials of Christ. There are things that he not only claimed, but that he displayed in his life. And one of them that he displayed, is power over nature. And we see that displayed in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. That's where Jesus and the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. By the way, the Sea of Galilee is a very deep body of water. And when it gets agitated, it takes a while for it to settle back down. And so you have them out on the Sea of Galilee. There's this incredible storm. It scares the pants off of the fishermen that are on the boat. And Jesus steps up and he says, hush, be still, and boom, it gets perfectly calm. Now that would never, I mean, when a storm would hit the Sea of Galilee and get it churning around and then the storm would leave, the water would churn for a while. But Jesus said, hush, be still, and everything's like glass. He displayed power over nature. Secondly, he displayed power over disease. We see that in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, where it says that Jesus healed every kind of disease, every kind of sickness, every kind of disability. And then, these are just samples, he displayed power over death, and we see that in John chapter 11. where you have the story of a guy by the name of Lazarus, who had died and he'd been dead for several days. His body was beginning to stink. Jesus comes along and says, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And he comes out. You see, this is the basis of the object of our faith in biblical Christianity, the claims and the credentials of Christ. And And then last week, we looked at the overwhelming historical evidence for Jesus' own resurrection. Men and women, Jesus Christ came to this planet to be our rescuer from sin and judgment. And he got on a cross and he took my penalty. And he took your penalty. Jesus is far more than a Ugandan witch doctor named Alice. Jesus is a firm place for us to stand on. He is the rock-solid root to bring us to the home of the heavenly Father. For generations, Christians have sung these words, On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking saying, Jesus is the true Superman. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. And I don't know where everyone's coming from today. I mean, you may be here today and you have you are very deeply sincere about the spiritual road that you are on. Maybe you're here today and you are sincerely devoted to some religion. Or maybe you are here today and you're sincerely devoted to a church. Or maybe you are here today and you're just sincerely devoted to your own spiritual path that you are taking. I just want to remind all of us of our thesis. Sincerity does not create truth. Beliefs do not determine reality. And the fact is that all of us, I mean all of us, myself included, apart from the person of Jesus Christ, are going to end in death. You know, God and eternity are just two things you don't want to get wrong. And my, my appeal is don't make the mistake of being sincere, but being sincerely wrong. The way to true life is to look to the person of Jesus Christ. To put your faith and trust in his work for you. To forgive you. And to take you to heaven. And if you've never anchored your life in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I just want you to know that you can actually do that today you can do that right where you sit because the spiritual transaction is something that takes place in our mind and in our heart. You can anchor your life in a relationship with Jesus Christ by simply coming to him, looking at who he is and what he's done, and to say to him, all my hope is in you. And I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these questions that we can just tackle and we can wrestle with. And Lord, I would pray that you would protect every one of us from being sincere, but sincerely wrong. And Father, for those who maybe have never anchored their life in a relationship with Jesus Christ, may they do that today, right where they sit, by simply looking to you and the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and to be able to communicate by faith a sincere belief that all of my hope is in Jesus. And Father, for those of us who have done that already, and we have put all our hope in you. May we just be able to celebrate and rejoice and remember that on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We thank you for being a real God and for being a great God. And we thank you for the person of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.